I direct your attention to our opening hymn number 130. Please rise. We continue on page 15 in the very front portion of your red hymnal. We begin today in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins to God our Father, asking Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil and failed to do what is good. 
For this I deserve your punishment, both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins, and trusting in my Savior Jesus Christ, I pray. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, our Heavenly Father, has been merciful to us and has given His only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ and by His authority, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the peace of forgiveness, let us praise the Lord. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. We praise you, O God, for the great acts of love by which you redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ. As he was acclaimed by those who scattered their garments and branches of palm in his path, so may we always hail him as our King and follow him with perfect confidence who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. You may be seated for the reading of God's Word. Our first reading... From Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. You'll notice that the Gospel writer Matthew quotes this prophecy in his account of Palm Sunday. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and brings salvation. 
He is humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be taken away, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His kingdom will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. This is the word of our God. We continue with our psalm for today, Psalm 24, as found on page 73. Our second reading comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Even though our eternal king has all power, he comes as a servant to die. Indeed, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Though he was by nature God, he did not consider equality with God as a prize to be displayed, but he emptied himself by taking the nature of a servant. When he was born in human likeness, And his appearance was like that of any other man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Our theme verse is printed for you there. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Thanks be to God. Please rise for our gospel reading. Our reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. The humble king comes in the name of the Lord to save. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, telling them, Go to the village ahead of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied there along with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you are to say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king comes to you humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their outer clothing on them, and he sat on it. A very large crowd spread their outer clothing on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them out on the road. The crowds who went in front of him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, asking, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus. I invite you to turn to our confession of faith for today, the Athanasian Creed, as found on page 132. The Athanasian Creed. Whoever wishes to be saved must, above all else, hold to the true Christian faith. Whoever does not keep this faith pure in all points will certainly perish forever. Now this is the true Christian faith. We worship one God in three persons, and three persons in one God, without mixing the persons or dividing the divine being. For each person, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is distinct, but the deity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one equal in glory, and co-eternal in majesty. What the Father is, so is the Son, and so is the Holy Spirit. The Father is uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father is infinite, the Son infinite, the Holy Spirit infinite. The Father is eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. Yet they are not three who are eternal, but there is one who is eternal. Just as they are not three who are uncreated, nor three who are infinite, but there is one who is uncreated and one who is infinite. In the same way, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Holy Spirit is almighty.
Yet they are not three who are almighty, but there is one who is almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Yet they are not three gods, but one God. So the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet they are not three lords, but one Lord. For just as Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually to be God and Lord, so the true Christian faith forbids us to speak of three gods or three lords. The Father is neither made nor created nor begotten of anyone. The Son is neither made nor created, but is begotten of the Father alone. The Holy Spirit is neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeds from the Father and the Son. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And within this Trinity, none comes before or after, none is greater or inferior, but all three persons are co-equal and co-eternal, so that in every way, as stated before, all three persons are to be worshipped as one God, and one God worshipped as three persons. Whoever wishes to be saved must have this conviction of the Trinity. It is furthermore necessary for eternal salvation truly to believe that our Lord Jesus Christ also took on human flesh. Now this is the true Christian faith. We believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and man. He is God, eternally begotten from the nature of the Father, and he is man, born in time from the nature of his mother, fully God, fully man, with rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as to his deity, less than the Father as to his humanity. And though he is both God and man, Christ is not two persons, but one. One, not by changing the deity into flesh, but by taking the humanity into God. One indeed, not by mixture of the natures, but by unity in one person. For just as the rational soul and flesh are one human being, so God and man are one Christ. He suffered for our salvation, descended into hell, rose the third day from the dead. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from there will come to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all people will rise with their own bodies to answer for their personal deeds. Those who have done good will enter eternal life, but those who have done evil will go into eternal fire. This is the true Christian faith. Whoever does not faithfully and firmly believe this cannot be saved. You may be seated for our next hymn, number 131.
Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our reading from the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. The people returned. God had sent his people away for 70 years because of their idolatry. They had deserted God, and God finally said that his patience had reached an end. And so God, through the nations of this world, God destroyed the walls that protected his city. He carried off the gold and the silver and the bronze from the temple, the place that had almost literally sparkled at night. It was so covered with gold. And God had them burn it to the ground, God's people got the picture. For 70 years, they sat waiting and wondering, how? How could we really be God's people after all that? And how could God fulfill his promises and his prophecies after that's what we did? They got the picture. But then... When they came back, and God said, get to work, the people began to question again. How can, how can we do this great work? The nation had been reduced to a mere handful. The nations around them seemed to threaten every day. And the work on the temple, well... They had gotten a start, but that was about it. Dejected and wondering, when would God come through? And how? How could God really come to us? How could God really come to bless us? And why? Why build the temple? Why rebuild this city? For what purpose? Fast forward another 500 years. The crowd stands there watching in eager expectation. It was just the very beginning, a week, shortly a week before the Passover feast, the day when they were supposed to go out to the flock and pick a lamb and take care of it for the week until slaughtering it after sundown on Thursday and before sundown on Friday. They had all gathered together there in Jerusalem, and they wondered, well, I know what we're doing here. We're celebrating the Passover, but when is God going to fulfill his promises? And how will God fulfill his promises? How will our Messiah come, and what will he do? Wondering. Curious. What will he do? What will he look like? And how shall we receive him? And there at the crest of the Mount of Olives, the road dips down for a little bit and then comes back up before you can see the city again. There at the crest sits a man on a borrowed donkey, weeping. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, If you only knew, 
the one who is coming to you today. And so he came. And the people received him with loud hosannas and the palm branches, but it just felt and looked, perhaps, like they should have been expecting something else. Should have been expecting someone more, something more. Should have been expecting the sort of king like David, the king who would promise peace. The king that Zechariah talks about, taking away the battle bow, bringing peace to the world through, through his simple word. And there, what do they get? This man on a donkey. It's kind of the equivalent of everybody gathering together on a nice sun, Saturday afternoon, and the organist is playing canon in D, and then the back doors open, and everybody turns looking expectantly to see the bride. And she's not dressed in her wedding gown. She's dressed in her gardening clothes. And they expected more. And they look, is this really the one that we should be expecting? And does this fit the occasion? Or like the football team that's been playing its music and the crowd is pumped, ready for the big game, and the team is just beginning to come out of the tunnel and they walk. Check a phone for a last-minute text message. And the crowd is cheering around them. And it's not what they expected. And so Jesus comes. He doesn't come dashing into town on a, on a, on a white horse. He doesn't come with an army following him, promising to drive out the Romans. He doesn't come even with... with loyal followers. He comes with, with men following him and children singing his praises. The sort of men who asked him time and time again, Lord, what is it you're doing? Are you sure that this is what you want to be doing and this is the time frame and do you really want me to walk on the water? Lord, it's too late. Lazarus has been dead for three days. Time and again, his closest followers, those who should have known him and should have known what he would do and could do, they proved to be, well, less than faithful. In a few short days, they would run away, deserting him. Because that is the culmination of the king coming to his people. And even though even though at every point it looks like Jesus does the exact opposite of what everyone expects. Here at the beginning of Holy Week, as we sit almost at the top of Mount Olive, and we see over there the temple, over there the governor's palace, back there a hill with a new tomb nearby. The Lord says, your king comes. And he's exactly, exactly who we need. Exactly who we need. Because you think of it. You and I aren't very different from the people at the time of Zechariah. Or the people at the time of Palm Sunday the first. You and I 
sit here today and we recognize, yes, our king has come to us. But the temptation at the time of Zechariah, wondering, how can we be the people of God? How can I be God's child? And how can I receive this king when I know my own life? What is it that God wants me to do? And does he really, does he really mean that he wants me to love him, follow him, and, and serve him all my days? Because sometimes that sure seems harder than other days. And after a while, it might get a little tiring. Because you look at the world around you, you see the sin within and the sin without, and it seems like Christ our King, who we celebrate as ruling with all things under his feet, that we, that's what we just confessed. Does Jesus really know about what looks like a pending nuclear war in Syria? Is our king really in charge? And to all of the, the doubt of life and the guilt of life and the pain of sin and the recognition that, that my God shouldn't come to me, God's answer? This man on a donkey? That's it? Not, not something more? He isn't even wearing a crown. The crowds that receive him, they're waving palm branches of victory. And what does he do? He goes up to the temple. He looks around and he goes home. He doesn't have a rallying speech. He doesn't, he doesn't rally his people behind him. He doesn't even seem to be leading anywhere. He just enters Jerusalem on this day when everybody else is, is looking for a lamb. And here he is at the peak of the beginning of the highest festival of the year. He's got the crowds. He's got the support, even though that support at times less than faithful, and even though it seemed like the ones who really recognized him were just the children making a raucous in the temple. And you look at Jesus on this Palm Sunday. What sort of a king is it that we want? What sort of a king is it that we need. And we're supposed to rejoice in this one? Absolutely. Because, because the way that God guided history and the way that God prophesied to his people at the time of Zechariah and the way that God was received in Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday is exactly the king we needed. God guided history at the time of the Exodus when he set up that, that Passover feast with the days of it purposely planned out on the day when, when God's people would go out to the flock and pick the victim for the sacrifice. The crowds recognize, Hosanna to the Son of David. Here he comes. Rejoice. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. T talking to you and to me, the spiritual people of God. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and he brings salvation. He's humble, riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Because the sort of king we need 
is not the sort of king that this world would recognize. The sort of king that we need is actually offensive to this human heart and to yours as well. Because the sort of king that we need is the king who came to wash away sin, yours and mine. And when he comes to wash away sin, the sort of king we need is the king who comes riding on the donkey. Rejoice. This is exactly the king that you need. Carrying and bringing the exact message that that we needed to hear. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be taken away and he will proclaim peace to the nations. He brings peace in his hand. In his two hands. He brings peace on his back and on his brow. He brings peace in that heart. And where does this peace come from? Just watch as the rest of the week unfolds. The one who comes proclaiming peace says, Rejoice! Your king has come to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. Because rejoice! Your king has come to to carry your sin and to say there is never anything more to worry about, dear Christian. Because your sin has been forgiven. Because you've been brought into the kingdom of Christ. The peace that he proclaims is a peace that extends to you and to me. Peace to the nations. This eternal kingdom that that covers the entire world. His kingdom will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. On Palm Sunday, we rejoice. Even as we, we think ahead... And we look ahead, and Jesus can see the rejection that awaits, the death by crucifixion, the burial in a borrowed tomb. On Palm Sunday, we join the procession. Because our King has come to us, we join the procession, singing our hosannas and rejoicing. Because our King has come, this the spotless Lamb of God. And He entered Jerusalem in exact fulfillment of everything that God had promised, in all the the foreshadowing of the Passover festival, the victim comes on the day when they pick their victim. At the Passover festival itself, the victim offers himself body and blood as the rest of Jerusalem gathered around their Passover meal. The victim was slaughtered, sacrificed, on a day when, when sheep were slaughtered. The victim's blood now marks your door, your heart. And right after the Passover, they celebrate the first fruits. The very first growth that would come up in spring, they would harvest it and take it to the temple And one week after Palm Sunday is exactly when that day happened. And you realize, you recognize, one week after Palm Sunday is the day that the first fruits rose from the dead. The guarantee that our King has won this victory. The guarantee that our rejoicing is not misplaced. The guarantee that salvation is yours and mine. That his proclamation of peace wasn't just empty words. 
But when he proclaimed peace to the nations, that peace is yours and mine. Because his words have power. His words have been proven to be true. And so when he says that his kingdom will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth, and he will proclaim peace, well, thanks be to God. On Palm Sunday, there's every reason to rejoice because this is exactly the king we needed, although he might not look like the king they wanted. He's exactly the king that we needed. The king who would lay down his life to reconcile you and me to God. The king who would by his death destroy him who holds the power of death. The king who by his resurrection would establish this kingdom that it lasts forever and ever. And so you notice today, we sing our hosannas. We pick up the palm branches, whether literally or just metaphorically, and we sing hosanna. Your king has come. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. We continue with the Create in Me as found on page 20 in the very front portion of your red hymnal. may be seated as we worship the Lord with our offering.
Please rise for prayer. Lord Jesus, you are the King of heaven and earth. We join the first Palm Sunday worshipers in praising and glorifying you for coming to this earth to be our Savior. Though you are one with God the Father and Lord of all, you humbled yourself and became one with us. Thanks be to you for living a life of perfect conformity to God's holy law in our place. Praise be to you for being obedient to death, even death on a cross, to redeem us from sin. Cause our voices to blend with those who sang your praises as you rode into Jerusalem. Move us to confess you before others as Lord. Help us to proclaim the message of peace and forgiveness to the people of all nations, and use us to assure all people that your blood has cleansed them from sin and set them free from slavery to sin, death, and the devil. Move us to dedicate all that we are and have to your glory. We especially ask you to continue to bless our efforts to proclaim your word, both to those who have been members here and to those that you long to bring into your fold. Give us the words and the strength to continue this proclamation, holding to your word in its truth and its purity. And we also ask you to be with Ernie Furman's brother as he undergoes a kidney transplant. Now hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Dear Savior, as we walk with you this week toward Calvary, keep us focused on your purpose for coming into this world and on our calling to spread this wonderful message of salvation. Hear us for your mercy's sake as we join to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated for our next hymn as printed in your service folder.
Please rise for our closing prayer. Almighty God, grant to your church the Holy Spirit and the wisdom that comes from above. Let nothing hinder your word from being freely proclaimed to the joy and edifying of Christ's holy people, so that we may serve you in steadfast faith and confess your name as long as we live. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. I invite you to, you may be seated for our closing hymn. And you'll notice in our closing hymn, um, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's really a celebration that our king has gone to battle and wins the battle as we celebrate again this week.